Hi, I'm Caesar, and you're listening to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. Taking a look at my notes, I'm just now realizing that we have a post-punk heavy show. You got some new post-punk releases this week. The feature of this podcast covers a seminal post-punk release. More on that soon. But this post-punk overload, well, I guess it's not really an overload. It's just something that I noticed. But it's inspiring me to do a genre guide on post-punk. Just say my thoughts out loud here, but if you want to hear a guide to post-punk, let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Sound Encounters. Got to do that shameless plug at the beginning of every show. It just feels good. It feels right. I have a great show for you this week. I'll be talking about Joy Division's second album, Closer, as the 40th anniversary of the record's release just passed. But first, as always, we have to take a look at this past week in music. All right, now we have to talk about this past week in music. And this was a surprising week because I think... I pretty much liked everything that I listened to, almost everything though, we'll get to that. We have three singles and I listened to three LPs. Starting with the singles, a new Idols track titled A Hymn, this is the third single that they released and it's pretty much a melancholic tune. We've gotten bangers from Idols these past couple of singles, but I really like the jury delivery from the vocals here. Uh, Joe sounds a bit gruff on some places. And initially, I didn't think much of this track, but after giving it a couple listens, I I love it now. I have some of the lyrics stuck in my head already. And I have to say, the bass playing is stellar. The band does a great job. If anything, I think the intro might be a little too long. It sounds like it could be the intro for the new album, but I think it's the penultimate track on the record. Who knows how this song will sound like when the entire album comes out and we hear it in the context of the album. But right now, I'm, I'm pretty much liking it. Next, we have a new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard track, Honey. We haven't heard from King Giz since, I I, want to say, last year. In that time, I think they've dropped a new live album. I haven't listened to that, but I will say that I am pretty excited for this new track, especially if it means we are getting a new record focused on microtonal acoustic guitars, because that is what immediately pops out when you hear this song. We have the return of microtonal acoustic guitars, a style that we are familiar with as they released a whole record in 2017 just focused on this instrument or or using microtonal instruments. It's a catchy tune with a fun chorus. It's a a straightforward song with lyrics about love and living freely. Another song that is very catchy where the chorus kind of gets stuck in your head. And I'm loving this track too. If it means we are getting a microtonal volume two, then I'm looking forward to that record. But yeah, Honey, fantastic song, catchy song, loving it. And now we have Rough 7 by JPEG Mafia. God, how many singles has he released now over these past couple months? This one features Tommy Genesis. I'm a fan of the atmospheric beat. It's a good vibe. Tommy Genesis' verse was all right. I disliked how long the intro goes, and I was peeved off at the the burr noise she was making. It's like an ad lib. Uh, not really a fan of that, but uh, overall her vo- her verse was all right. Peggy's verse goes hard, though. I mean, it's Peggy. It pretty much goes hard on every track he releases. 
he's definitely the highlight of this track. It, it was a decent song. If they just reduced the intro and the ad lib that Tommy does, it would have been a much better track. All right, that's the singles. Let's get into the LPs that I heard this past week. First, we got Tilas by Nicholas Jar. This man is on a roll this year. His third project of the year so far. And with each project that's come out, he, he kind of takes on a different style. Against All Logic, you know, we have that deconstructed club sound that defies that project. Then we had uh, Sinisas, which is a very ambient record. And I thought we were going to get another ambient project with Telos or Telos. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. And we kind of do get an ambient project, but here, Jar experiments with different sounds and textures. Right off the bat, the album hits you with a cacophony of sounds that includes woodwinds, glitching, drumming that sounds like, you know, they're, like he's banging on pots and pans. It's a very anxious song, but that has this mysterious quality to it that is brought out by the electronic elements here. There's more of a focus on combining instruments and electronic techniques, such as looping, feedback, and glitching with the ambient soundscapes that Jar is known for. There are moments on this album where the music comes across as abstract and dense, and other moments where the lush and atmospheric soundscapes are the focus. There are only four compositions on Telos, all of them ranging from 13 to 16 minutes in length. This means that the flow and structure of these tracks are very loose and free, which normally I would be okay with, but sometimes it doesn't always pan out. Like, the structure that he's going for it is reminiscent of a post-rock song, specifically the three compositions on Godspeed, You Black Emperors, F-Sharp, A-Sharp, Infinity. But unlike Godspeed's record, this doesn't seem to have any rhyme and reason at all. However, the second track, Telen Kima, I'm going to butcher this name as well, seems to flow pretty well. As both sections feature these dreamy and elusive synths, the last part of the track incorporates this abrasive glitchiness that gave the track a bit more character. And then the final track, not even going to pronounce it, is the most uniform track on here, I feel, as there is a drone that acts as the foundation of the track while instruments and effects are played throughout, coming and going as they please. It is a very interesting listen from start to finish. I'm sure as I continue to listen to this record, I'll find something new throughout these compositions. It just seems like that kind of record where every time you go back, you discover something new. But as first impressions go, it's another strong addition in Jar's growing discography, but it isn't even the best that he's released this year. Next, I listened to Ultimate Success Today by Proto Martyr. This is the fifth full-length album from Detroit post-punk band Proto Martyr. And in true Proto Martyr fashion, it is a very pessimistic listen as lyrics touch upon the state of society, death and life, or an apocalypse. I'm a fan of lead singer Joe Casey's deadpan delivery, but there is some energy found within his delivery in some of these songs. Most notably, Processed by the Boys. This song refers to a society and, and world-ending situation. He talks about foreign disease, uh, cosmic grief beyond all comprehension, which is probably my favorite line on this record, and an authoritarian police state. It seems like Proto Martyr is joining the bands that we have so far this year who are predicting the future or who have predicted 2020. It's uh, It was kind of crazy listening to those lyrics and, and relating that to our sociopolitical situation that we have in America today. Then he talks about holding on to dreams until death on Bridge and Crown. He has a, a climactic 
existential crisis on the closing track, Worm in Heaven. You know, it seems like there's no hope found on this record. And, and you know, that's what you kind of come to expect when you listen to a proto-martyr record and proto-martyr songs. It's also a very post-punk thing just to have all these dreary and bleak lyrics found throughout the record. However, I can't say the same thing for the music. The band definitely outshines Casey on this record. The drumming, reverb guitars, and, and now added woodwinds. They added woodwinds to their musical repertoire, and it comes off really nice on this record. It sounds like they're adding a, a bit of jazz influence onto this record, and it, and it works. Some of the outstanding musical moments include the clarinets and the main guitar riff and the stumbling drum beat on Processed by the Boys. Again, probably my favorite track on this record. I love the driving guitar riff and the crashing drums on June 21. That is a very groovy track, another one of my favorites. Or the distorted riffs on Tranquilizer and, and the buildup of the dissonant guitars on Worm in Heaven. Throughout all these tracks, actually, the woodwinds add a bit of spice, adds a bit of flavor to these tracks. I'm glad that they included these woodwinds on this record. It's a solid record from a talented band, but for the most part, it kind of sounds redundant. Not really doing anything new or exciting here, but damn, does it sound fantastic. The last record I listened to is Oliver Tree's debut record, Ugly is Beautiful. I've always heard about this artist, uh, never really heard of his music. You know, that's just one of those artists where you're just like, oh, okay, you know, he's getting a lot of popularity, but I have somehow missed every opportunity to listen to his music, uh, except for now. And because it seems like he's been around for a while, I was shocked to learn that this was his first full-length project. So not knowing much about his music, not knowing much about the artist himself, actually, except for his eye-catching fashion and haircut, his aesthetic, I should say. I didn't know what to expect from Oliver Tree, but now listening to this project, I am a bit disappointed as he kind of focuses on pop rock and it's not really my style of pop rock. He kind of features these overblown synths, guitars. Honestly, I, I, I'm not really a fan of the production here as a lot of it sounds blown out and, and not in like the good way. It's very distracting. I kind of wince at some of these songs on here. He has feeble attempts at rapping that uh, were kind of cringy, and I'm not particularly a fan of his singing style either. He's shouting through most of these tracks, and while I do like my shouty vocals, I'm not a fan of his voice, and it comes off as very irritating. And once I realized I didn't like his singing, I pretty much suffered throughout the entire record. I will say, you know, his lyrics are nice. His lyrics are cute as... He touches on subjects like being yourself, being an outcast, the dangers of materialism, insecurities, etc. But I cannot get over his voice on this record. I thought the chorus to the song Bury Me Alive was pretty good. His vocals sound a bit psychedelic as he kind of twists and turns around his words. And the guitars come in and makes it sound like a surf rock song, which I loved. And then the song starts and he starts rapping with a generic rap beat. And then I'm like, okay, I take it all back. Waste My Time actually has a good beat. And I like the guitars, especially towards the end as they soar their way until the end. The lyrics are so repetitive. And I think the refrain, I won't waste your time, is Oliver at his most annoying. So yeah, not really a project for me. 
But if you like generic pop rock with a singer who has a very annoying voice, then you'll like Oliver Tree, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't really my thing. Sorry, Oliver Tree fans. And this wraps up this past week in music. Stay tuned. I'll be going over Joy Division's Closer after we come back from the break. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I promised I was going to go over Joy Division's second and last full-length release, Closer. This is the first segment where I can dedicate this time to talk about a classic release. I wanted to cover this one because the 40th anniversary of this record's release just passed July 18th, 1980. And so I wanted to spend this time to celebrate Joy Division and Ian Curtis as they have left their mark, not only on post-punk, but on the musical landscape as a whole. This is also my favorite Joy Division record. This may come as a shock to you, especially since everyone talks about Unknown Pleasures. And I like Unknown Pleasures, don't get me wrong. This is a great record. I have Unknown Pleasures on vinyl, and I don't have Closer on vinyl. But I feel like Closer doesn't get enough hype. And to be fair, you know, both Joy Division records are very similar in sound from guitar driven melodies to Ian's vocal delivery, which is very deadpan and cold. You know, it's the reason why Unknown Pleasures is so popular and well known. By comparison, Closer seems trite, but hear me out. The lyrics on this thing are so bleak and dismal. You know, Unknown Pleasures can't even come close to the lyricism on this record. We also get the introduction of synthesizers on this record on songs like Isolation, Heart and Soul, the eternal and decades and by far the emotions on this record are so much more powerful than on unknown pleasures the emotional resonance on this record mainly come from the lyrics and ian's performances much like on unknown pleasures but this record is so much more haunting and dark and we can attribute that to ian curtis while writing this record he pretty much knew that he was going to kill himself after this record is finished there's a ton of clues put into this record that we can go over later. We can also talk about the album's cover art, which features a tomb, uh, more specifically the Appiani family tomb. It surprised me when I saw an interview with the band and they were talking about Ian, they were talking about Joy Division, and they talked about how they, they didn't see it coming. And, and they were they were kind of fools to assume that it wasn't coming because I, I think Ian had a, a suicide attempt before this. Of course, the lyrics that he was writing and the band would uh, brush it off as like, oh no, it was art. You know, he wasn't serious, but he meant it. And of course, the cover art. They didn't really take a look at the cover art until Ian had passed away. And when they saw it, they were shocked. They were shocked that they were going to put a tomb on a record featuring a man who just passed away. But after the band saw it, uh, they agreed, as well as the label Factory Records agreed to keep it on as the cover art for this record. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about this record, uh, this this bleak <laughs> record. <laughs> Now I want to start off with the opening track, Atrocity Exhibition. No better place to start. From this song, we get a look into Ian's downward spiral. His mental health was suffering, and his marriage with Deborah Curtis was falling apart. The lyrics refer to asylums as tourist attractions, as well as gladiators 
fighting for their lives. And this is the way that Ian was interpreting his life because of his struggle with epilepsy and depression and his marriage. He's fighting for his life, much like the gladiators that he referenced in the lyrics. And as his mental health was deteriorating, he couldn't help but feel like he was a tourist attraction, either from fans or his family or his bandmates. We don't really see lyrics that refer to suicide until track three, Passover. The song starts with, this is the crisis I knew had to come, and talking about destroying the balance that he had kept. We also see lyrics that describe a rejection of society, not only on this song, but on other songs. Take Colony, for example. He realizes that he doesn't want the family life anymore. He reveals that the only reason he wanted to start a family was so that he could feel normal for once. I talked about clues that Ian Curtis had left throughout the album at the beginning of this segment, and there's no bigger clue than the start of Colony as he says, a cry for help, a hint of anesthesia. We are hearing a broken and lost man. He's tired and, and he's done fighting. And it's just so tragic to listen to him on this record. I think by far the most important song here is A Means to an End. It's a song that is addressed to his wife, Deborah, and he talks about their crumbling relationship. In a way, you can see this record as an extended suicide note addressed to Deborah addressed to his bandmates, and addressed to his fans. And we could take this analogy and say this portion of the suicide note is dedicated to Deborah. I was talking earlier about how he only wanted a marriage and a family because he wanted to feel normal. He wanted to be a part of society. And this is the part of the record where he talks about that the most. We can also see this song as sort of a turning point for the record, as from here on out, the tone is much darker, if you can imagine. It's a point of no return as well. Ian has fully committed to his decision. Another one of my favorite songs is Heart and Soul. It's a very gloomy and distressing song. We get one of Curtis's most haunting deliveries on this song, as he seems to be talking about himself, especially on the lines, instincts that can betray us, soulless and bent on destruction, a struggle between right and wrong. He's also asking whether or not existence matters. He has several existential crises throughout this record. The music accompanies this very well as the stuttering drum beat, the bass, and the ominous synths add to this gloomy and ominous atmosphere. The song 24 Hours actually has some energy to it, but the lyrics dispel any notion of hope. Curtis refers to his marriage again on this track as he thought he found what he was looking for in Deborah and their daughter. And then he talks about a valueless collection of hopes and past desires. And I can't help but feel terrible for Deborah, especially if she listened to this album, because Curtis is talking about how he thought he wanted a family. And now that he has what he thought he wanted, he realized that he doesn't want it anymore. And it's crushing to him that he can't be a part of something normal, something that society expects of him. And then we get to a song like The Eternal, which has been stated before by the band that it's about a Mongolian kid who lived in Ian's neighborhood and in Ian's youth. This kid was never allowed outside of his house, and the lyrics refer to that by saying, my view stretches out from the fence to the wall. Ian is remembering this kid from his childhood and is now relating himself to that kid. He feels trapped. He feels like there's no other solution to the pain that he's feeling, and there's only one way out. The lyrics of the Mongolian kid are also 
spliced with a reference to a funeral at the beginning of this track. I think it's interesting that the song sort of starts out with the funeral, signifies the end of life, and yet it ends with Ian's memory of this kid from his childhood. Childhood, of course, being towards the beginning of life. He's starting from the end and working backwards. Maybe as his life is flashing before his eyes, he remembers that kid from his youth and is fixated on that as he thinks, this is me now, I am trapped, but after this, I'll be free. Again, another just tragic song. And then the record closes with Decades, which acts as this sort of epilogue. And it also feels like like a relief, like Ian is is free from his pain as Ian sounds like he's recounting his story or a story from the afterlife. Both his voice and the synths have this ethereal quality to them. The synths also have this swirling effect to them, which makes the climax of this song all the better. Ian could be referring to himself. He could be referring to the band as well. But one of my favorite lines, we knocked on the doors of hell's darker chamber, pushed to the limit, we dragged ourselves in. Sounds like it could refer to Ian and Ian's decisive decision. But yeah, I love this song. Everything comes together in this emotional climax. What a closer. I also want to point out my favorite track on this record, Isolation, which is their attempt at a synth pop and new wave song. Pretty much the precursor to New Order. Bass guitar and the synths drive the rhythm and they're infectious and it's groovy, but don't let that trick you as the lyrics kind of see Curtis resorting to self-preservation. This is also a great example of his mental decline right from the beginning of the record as he does feel comfortable in solitude, but it also crushes him as he's fighting between that urge to stay isolated or be amongst people and society. Just a lot of conflicting thoughts and feelings from Curtis on this record. He also comes across as tragic and desperate. Because of that, it heightens the emotional quality of this record. Yeah, so that's Closer, the second and final Joy Division record. I hope you were celebrating the 40th anniversary of this record like I did. And if you had never heard of Joy Division until this moment, if you've never heard this record till this moment, I'm glad I was able to introduce it to you. And you should listen to it as soon as possible. It is fantastic. Sure, it might not be the most lighthearted listening experience, but it's certainly a seminal moment in post-punk history. Give Closer a listen tonight. I know it's past the 40th anniversary at this point, but it doesn't hurt to appreciate this amazing record. Rest in peace, Ian Curtis. Thank you. All right, so that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. You know, I was talking about that post-punk guide at the beginning of the show, but... You know, I can still do it if you guys want me to do it. I, I'm glad to talk about post-punk. It's a great genre. But, you know, for next week, I'm thinking of doing another artist breakdown or a look back at their discography. I feel like it's been a while since I've done that, so I, I definitely want to do that. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.